0: Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Good afternoon, everyone. From sea to shining sea and around the world, welcome to the family meeting. How y'all doing? Now you're, maybe you're thinking like, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's not Monique. No, you're stuck with a substitute teacher again. Um, but I am uh, glad to be here and to talk about an important subject that I'm finding a little encouraging. I don't know about you, but man, don't, don't go on Twitter. Like Twitter is like so sad right now. It's, it's just like, just a cesspool of difficulty and demonic messaging. Like like. If you can avoid it, don't go there. Um I'm doing the heavy lifting for you over there. <laughs> but um you know, it's uh it's rough. But hopefully going to bring you some good news today. Anyone up for good news, some progress, some things that that maybe we're seeing some good movement on. I hope so. Um glad to see so many of you on the stream right now. Thanks for saying hello. Monique is still um, not home yet. She's still working on the book. She's making good progress. And by God's grace, please, 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 please be praying for the book project, running into some challenges. We need you to be praying. Uh, Just in case you don't know, like writing a book is spiritual warfare, like for real, it is spiritual warfare. Um, When I worked, at my former employer, I probably were there for, I don't know, at least 15 books. It's probably more I'm being conservative, but I knew that, you know, when, uh, a book project was going on really needed to hold that, that author up in prayer, because that's really when the enemy likes to attack. And so please be in prayer for us. Be in prayer for our families, be in prayer for our health, be in prayer for protection, all of that stuff. Um, Just know that we are working hard on the book and laboring uh, for the gospel, but all of you are part of our team. When we say family, we really mean it. We need you guys. We need your prayers. We need your support. We love to get your encouraging letters. I had somebody write to me this week. What a lovely thing she had she had remembered and written down in her records, like what my favorite Bible verse was. And then she wrote me randomly this week and said she was praying that verse over me. And that she felt like the Lord had just prompted her to reach out to me and give me a word of encouragement. Wow. Like what a cup of cold water in a desert oasis. Like, thank you. Like that kind of stuff gets us so encouraged your letters, your encouragement, your prayers really do make a difference. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Loving all the check-ins where you guys are at. So fun to have met some of you in person now. I love recognizing the names. Um, met with Julie from Minnesota uh, recently and her husband. We had dinner together. What a lovely time. And uh, we had in and together. And Andy Allen is here. Always, he always is writing me little encouraging notes on Facebook. Just thank you so much for all your prayers and everything. We love you. We appreciate you very much. Okay. Um, Let's get into it. I want, I'm seeing some good things happening on the diversity, equity, and inclusion front. I'm seeing some cracks in the system. I'm seeing, some structural integrity issues. This is good this is good news. Um, people are really starting to push back on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now Monique and I have been in this conversation with you guys for a few years now telling you that like this is not the way to do this. Like, you know, this this diversity, equity, and inclusion, what's passing itself for that, This is not the way to go. This is not going to build a team. This is not going to build unity. This is not going to help the race conversation. And I'm so encouraged to see cracks in the system that are starting to kind of filter through to mainstream media a little bit. I think this is good. Three years ago, we couldn't even have the conversation hardly publicly without people losing their minds. And there's good movement on this. In fact... I wanna share with you one thing. This is kind of what prompted me to do this conversation today. Um, This is an article that came out a couple of days ago in Inside Higher Ed, which is a website that um, one of our academic advisory council members has sent me a couple articles in the past on this website. So I think it's kind of a clearinghouse for um, editorials and other news items related to higher ed. But this is hugely um, encouraging to me, is um, talking, at least they're having a public conversation in a secular venue of even asking the questions, asking questions about diversity, centering students in the diversity statement debate. With diversity statements under fire, the right response isn't to give up on addressing equity goals through hiring, it's to improve what we're asking of candidates. I'll take it. I'll take it that they're at least trying to have the conversation that this method might not be the way to go. Like this this isn't exactly a statement of like, we're dismantling <laughs> diversity, equity, inclusion, but at least they're having the conversation of asking questions about it in public, in a secular venue. I'll take it because that tells me that there's more structural things happening underneath the surface that people are starting to ask different questions. I think this is a very good sign. This is a very good sign. I was super encouraged to see that. Um oh shit. Oh, here's some nice news. Since we're on a good good news day. Some of you might even remember uh, several months ago being on a stream with Shamika, and uh, she was talking about, can I really homeschool? She says, I love you ladies. I'll be starting my homeschooling journey this upcoming year. Yay. So proud of you taking that step of faith. Make sure that you're part of our Unwoke Homeschooling group. Uh, if you want anyone wants to join that, if you're on Facebook, go sign up. Make sure you fill out the form." Fill out the form. Don't forget to fill out the form. Otherwise, you won't get in. You got to fill out the form because we vet people. We don't want crazy people in our groups. All right. So, yes, some of you are seeing the goodness of this. Whoa, that's definitely good news. I agree. In a secular venue, they're asking questions. This is a crack. I'll take the crack because cracks can start to lead to holes. And sometimes, as we saw, I'm old enough to have seen the Berlin Wall fall. get enough cracks, you can just push that puppy over. So yes, I agree. Um, Small step, at least they're asking the questions. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm thinking this is a little progress. Um, Another thing I saw uh, this week, and it's kind of making the rounds if you're in the, you know, the right algorithms, (laughs) if you will um there I'm gonna play a little bit of this but there's a video from John Stossel and John Stossel used to be on like ABC 2020 he does a lot of independent reporting now I don't think he's affiliated with any particular broadcasting network he's sort of his own deal but he's a libertarian and he's always done independent reporting he's not beholding to any particular um tr- uh, mainstream line he, he is a libertarian but I appreciate John Stossel's reporting and I have for a for a very long time, probably 25 years, because he just, he's willing to report on things that nobody else is talking about and everybody's afraid to talk about and the elephant in the room. I feel like John Stossel is a longtime reporter of, he's at least willing to ask a different question publicly. And sometimes that helps give courage to other people start asking those questions. But I was encouraged to see this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are everyone's responsibility. DEI. Diversity,
1: equity, inclusion. That sounds nice and responsible. No wonder all big companies now require employees to get training in it.
0: Because we understand that racial and systemic bias have many causes, sources, and ways of showing up within each of us.
1: Even if that's true, do you know what American companies now do to address it? Some make ritual apologies for America's past.
0: We want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Sammamish.
1: By the proclaiming guilt, companies Whomish. try to signal that the now they're the virtuous. Shoot. The Snohomish, the Tulalip. It's nice to apologize. Yes, but what is it really doing? Eric Smith was a diversity officer at Drew University. Now he teaches at York College. Why'd you stop being a diversity officer? I just thought it was a useless thing. There's a better way to go about doing this.
2: Diversity
1: and inclusion. Useless or not, companies continue to pay big money for
2: trainings. There's a whole industry now designed to cater to companies looking for a quick way to check that box. In the U.S. in 2020, DEI was a $3.4 billion industry. Every big company. They feel like they have to. They have to say something. They have to signal to the world that they're doing something. Is it effective? No. Uh, In fact, it seems to be doing worse. It seems to be making people uh, less likely to interact with people who are unlike them, you know, because it's like a minefield now. Less likely to interact? After a training where you hear things about microaggressions, if you ask somebody what they do for a living, somehow that's racist, right? If you learn that, then why would you take a chance? I better not talk to Eric because I might say something wrong. Precisely. So now inclusion means I'm going to silence myself and not talk to the black people.
0: All white people are
1: racist. Some trainings are just divisive and dumb. I believe that white people
0: are born into not being human.
1: This is extreme, I take it. It is extreme,
2: but it's becoming more of the norm. These slides were shown at a Coca-Cola diversity training. The thesis of this training was try to be less white. They're talking about arrogance and things like that. That is by no means a white thing. The point is to demonize the other side as much as possible. And
1: absurdly, diversity trainings don't even do what they're supposed to do. This Harvard professor analyzed studies of them.
0: Sadly enough, I did not find one single study which have, has found that diversity training, in fact, leads to more diversity.
1: In fact, the Harvard Business Review reports, five years after diversity training, the share of black women managers actually decreased. It's not about data, it's about a power grab. A power grab that starts-
0: Okay, so you get the idea there, and I think this is encouraging. There's a public conversation from John Stossel, About just asking a question of does diversity training bring about the results that it promises? Now, I'll grant you, not everybody's watching Stossel, but I think that this is a good sign that people are starting to ask. And another really encouraging thing that I'm seeing is that we have had several schools in the last few months, schools and churches reach out to us, and they went down the path of DEI, you know, a few years ago, in all various forms, trainings, books, whatever, and they're starting to see the fruit from that now, and what it's done to their culture, and they're wanting help, kind of going back, or finding a different approach, and I think this is very good news. Like, you know, you get one or two of these, you are know, like, okay, well, that's sort of interesting. But since January, I think we've had about seven inquiries about this from institutions that went down this path. And if I go all the way back to last fall, I, was, I think there were three Christian universities that reached out to us about it. So again, cracks, like I'm seeing some cracks that people are starting to push back starting to ask questions. And um, if you want to um, find out uh, about our efforts at the Center for Biblical Unity on what we're doing to try to to develop a different path to having this conversation, um, we actually offer at CFBU, if you go on our speaking page and I just want to show you like where to go, Uh, If you go on our speaking page and you can click on training and consulting, and you can see that there's a request form here. And then there's some slides that you can go through that we offer what we call racial unity trainings and helping churches, ministries, Christian schools find a different path. And we're getting more inquiries about this. I think this is very good news. Very good news. Um, going back a little bit further in time to last year, I believe, uh, Chris Rufo tweeted this about Glenn Youngkin, the uh, governor of Virginia, has asked all his state's DEI employees to resign and tapped anti-critical race theory leader Angela Saylor. I don't know who she is, so I haven't vetted her to lead the department in her first move sailor eliminated the word equity and replaced it with opportunity. But again, to me, this is, this is cracks. People are starting to push back. I think that is good news. I think that this is hopefully the sign of something better. And, um, you know, the the phrase diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, it sounds nice. It's what I call pretty words. (laughs) Who doesn't want to be for, for diversity? Who who doesn't want to be for inclusion? Um, Who doesn't want to be for equity? Like these are words that sound like things and ideas that we would want to promote, but, but here's the problem. And this is really, you know, one of the the things I want to, point out here is that the model that's in place in and in, in being used in this multi-billion dollar industry now of these DEI trainings, the model that's being used cannot deliver on its promises. It's a scam. Um if you think that the first step to to getting to better racial unity at your company is going to be to set up or or hire a, a diversity officer and set up a diversity team, you you just nuked your situation. Like you cannot get to unity by putting diversity first. That that's just not going to work. And so that's why when we get on the phone with people, we can get on the phone with pastors and ministry leaders and school administrators. You know, the first thing we want to do is assess like, well, how many people have you hired? Do you have a DEI team? Do you have a DEI officer? Because probably what we're going to recommend is disbanding your team. And you're going to have to send a clear message that you're going in a different direction. Um, And giving a more biblically-based hope. Uh, And so I, I want to encourage you that there is a different way of doing this. You can still have the conversation about diversity um, without falling into the world's framework for diversity. And and we've been saying for three years at the Center for Biblical Unity that we want as many models out there as possible, as many models, and, and we believe strongly in the competition of ideas. We have been calling for people to step up and offer alternatives to diversity equity and inclusion we think that's healthy um i think you know the chris rufo tweet that we saw is a good example of that you know where they they uh dissolved their team they hired a different person with a different framework a different a different way of having the conversation even just changing the wording adding the word opportunity that's interesting um I wanted to really quickly uh, scroll down on the Chris Rufo tweet because there was something else I wanted to show you on that. Um, he uh, "Rufo says my recommendation to abolish my recommendation is to abolish the DEI department entirely. In most cases, Monique and I would agree with that advice, and replace it with an MEO department." promoting merit excellence and opportunity this is ultimately a war of values and most christians prefer a system of individual rights and achievement not the neo-marxist i'm going to add the word conception of definition of equity um and i think that uh he has another tweet here he's like help me think of a good acronym for dei alternative that promotes merit equality colorblindness excellence excellence, achievement, and individual rights. So, you know, we are all for this. We at the Center for Biblical Unity are for a competition of ideas. We are for alternative models because we think that that is the way out of this problem. You cannot defeat an ideology if you have nothing positive to replace it with. That strategy will never work. We cannot just gripe, mo and complain about diversity, equity, and inclusion until we show a different way, a better way. And this is where we think that Christians have a wonderful opportunity to offer a more biblical way. And so, um, okay, let me offer some additional thoughts. Um, One of the trainings that I've developed at CFBU is um, a training on diversity and why I think that the uh, trying to help people understand the difference between the world's conception of diversity and what people are actually wanting, (laughs) which I think the Bible offers a better hope for that. So I'm just going to give you like a little sample. So imagine you're going in Costco and you know, those little sample people at the, at the end caps, they, they give you the little free sample. And then you think, Ooh, this is good. I want more. I'm just going to give you like a little sample. And of a training that I've been working on over the last couple of years, just so that you can get a feel for the project that Monique and I have been engaged in. So I think that when we think about the the issue of diversity, these are usually the areas that people are talking about. They wanna talk about how do we engage in staff recruitment? This This is, diversity is a conversation about who do we hire and what are their qualifications and what are the kinds of candidates who are wanting to recruit. It also has to do with staff promotions. Who, and according to what criteria, are we going to promote people to a managerial position or to some other kind of position? In the Christian school context, it's about student recruitment. What kinds of families does our school want to attract? Who are we marketing to? And when we're thinking about issues of diversity there are very there's some very real challenges for christian schools in this area um also board recruitment is a big conversation that often comes up with um the the schools that we work with if we were in a church context we would call it elder recruitment it's leadership recruitment okay and so this is where discussions about diversity often come up And so if we're going to have a plan, if we're going to think through a strategy of how do we do our recruiting, how do we do that in a biblical way? How do we engage in these conversations in a distinctly biblical way? Well, I think there's actually some worthy diversity goals that we could talk about. I don't think that diversity is necessarily or automatically an anti-biblical idea. I think there's some some questions that we could think about that would be helpful. I mean, I think a worthy diversity goal would be to ask the question how do we increase retention and hiring of people from diverse backgrounds or ages who have talents that we need in order to help our church school or business succeed. I mean, let's say that you know you're running a Christian school and your school is located in a very large um area that has a particular population that that let's say your school is wanting to recruit Chinese students because it's in a predominantly Chinese area well maybe you decide maybe the way to do that is we need to offer Chinese as a language for our students as a language option in addition to Spanish French or German maybe we want to hire a Chinese teacher well we're going to have to go find someone that has those talents. We're going to need some more diverse backgrounds. Um, maybe we're thinking about how do, we, how do we recruit qualified candidates that we're maybe missing out on because we're not recruiting in the right places. Maybe there's cultural differences that are separating us from the potential types of people that we want to recruit. That's a, that's a legitimate question. There is a ministry that we talked to once that was really out in a, in a rural context, but they were wanting to recruit more urban African-American um, people because their students that they were attracting, they were getting more and more African-American students. So they wanted to have some, some people with shared cultural um, sensibilities on the staff. We thought, okay, that's a, that's a good goal. But Monique had to tell them like, you're, you're out here in the rural land. Like it's going to be hard to recruit, especially going to the places where you recruit, where it's all predominantly white people. You're going to have to get a little creative, build some partnerships with some like-minded, maybe black churches in the inner city that they can help you identify strong candidates in their congregation. Well, that was a different kind of recruiting. That would be like a recruiting blind spot, okay? So diversity doesn't have to be about woke ideology. There are some legitimate issues that can be addressed. Here's another one that I think is a worthy diversity goal is how do we reduce prejudicial attitudes or behaviors toward fellow employees who might belong to various cultures or social groups? If you've got a culturally diverse staff, there's going to be some cultural distances between some of these people. There might even be some miscommunications. Well, but maybe having a training on giving people some practical skills on how do we participate together, um, that could be helpful. That Give them some language, some shared language for how we participate with each other. How do we enhance cooperation among all our employees so we can work together to achieve the business or the church or the school's mission, vision and values? If you've got people from different cultural backgrounds or different languages, how are we going to work together and enhance cooperation and and all of that sort of a thing? In my opinion, those are healthy, good, noble diversity goals that could be genuinely interesting and and productive to pursue. Um, But here, unfortunately, is how it often shows up in the training environment. And that is that most of these trainings that fly under the banner of diversity have been shaped by the critical social theories. That's what CST stands for, critical social theories. And in this particular vision for diversity, the way that people are taught is through the matrix of oppression. And it, it is teaching and training people to see each other through a particular lens. And I'm going to show you that, that lens right now. We have this little chart that we use a lot in our trainings. Um, it, this is from the Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice book, second edition, um, dated 2007. So if the matrix of oppression was updated today, it would have a lot more social identity categories, I'm sure. But in looking at this chart, we have on the one side there, you can see the social identity categories of race, sex, gender, sexual orientation, class, ability or disability, religion, and age. And so then when we see the privileged social groups, we have white people, biological men, gender-conforming men and women, heterosexuals, rich, upper-class, able-bodied, Protestant adults. Well, that's a good number of people that are probably watching this stream right now. And so the privileged groups would be less desirable in a hiring context because if you're going to meet your quote-unquote diversity goals you want to hire people in the targeted social groups column and that is the minorities the black latino native americans biological women gender queer um transgender lesbians gay men uh working class poor people with disabilities jews muslims hindus And young people. Okay, so when you are looking at your and evaluating someone for a promotion or for a new hire, the thought, according to this framework, is that you want to look for candidates who are in these um, targeted social groups. And those are usually given preference, okay? Because the operating assumption here, when you use this framework for diversity is that there's a there's a general operating assumption that these categories, these, these intersections are assumed to be in play in nearly every life situation. So this matrix of oppression is the operational assumption for when you're doing your hiring, and your student recruiting, and your promotion um, strategies. And so everything in the company or the school or wherever is seen through this lens of power dynamics. The privileged people are seen as having the power and the targeted social groups are seen as not having power. So when you have these operational assumptions, in play, then here's how the questions about hiring get reframed. When you have diversity trainings that are programmed by the critical social theories, you ask questions like, how do we increase hiring and retention of people from historically marginalized and underrepresented groups? That's a different question than the worthy diversity goals that I mentioned earlier. How do we eliminate prejudicial attitudes or behaviors toward members of historically marginalized or underrepresented groups? So we're not trying to eliminate or reduce prejudicial attitudes across the board for everyone and where the same rules apply to everyone. We're only concerned about prejudicial attitudes for those who are in that column of oppressed people in the matrix of oppression. How do we enhance belonging and cooperation Or historically marginalized groups you see how this works you see how these categories come to play and so when you hear this pretty word of diversity what you have to understand is it is it is there's a whole theoretical framework that is underneath the word and this framework shapes the conversations It shapes what's right and what's wrong, what's virtuous and what's not. Um, So hopefully, oh, you guys couldn't see it? Well, now I'm reading the comments. I'm so sorry. I thought, all right, hopefully you can see my charts. I'll put the matrix of oppression back up there one more time. So, yeah, so if you see there, the, the category identities, the privileged groups, and then the targeted social groups. Okay, somebody was asking a question. We saw it briefly. That's very peculiar. Hopefully you can see it now because it's there. All right, cool. Um, so somebody says... The categories are very rigid. Yeah, they do tend to be rigid. Um, it's it, this is again an idea that's growing. Um, if you listen to the teaching that I did on Monday um, about standpoint epistemology and liberation theology, I had a different version of the matrix of oppression. It was sort of a wheel of oppression. <laughs> so you can go check that out. Uh, but it's a similar idea. But this. This is continuing to evolve, that's for sure. Okay. So one more question, as I'm kind of um, trying to walk you guys through and just so that you can be more conversant about the issue of diversity and how it shows up in real life, is I wanna talk for a minute about a survey of literature. And this was alluded to in the Stossel report. The question that I started asking about a year and a half ago is, do these diversity trainings actually work? Do they deliver on their promises to bring improved communication and better relationships? And you always hear in these trainings of how, well, there's all this mountain of research that diversity makes a workplace better. And I started asking the question, is that true? Is that actually a true statement? And I I started to question, um, you know, like, is this really settled science that these diversity trainings work? Um, Who could look into that for me? And so I actually asked uh, somebody who was connected to the ministry or is connected to the ministry. And I asked her, could you do a literature survey of these, about these diversity trainings? Can you look and see what this literature, this mythological literature even is? What's out there? What are these trainings? And are they actually effective? Do they deliver on the promises? Because I'm like, I don't see anybody questioning this. And that made me suspicious. No image. That's really weird. Okay. Tell me if you can see this. <laughs> All right. This is an article that's called diversity is important. Diversity related training is terrible. Hopefully you can see this article. Tell me in the in the comments. Yes, you see it. All right, cool. So I'm going to make it a little bit bigger. Hopefully, possibly not. There we go. So again, this article is called Diversity is Important, Diversity-Related Training is Terrible. And this is sort of a popular level summary of the literature. And this is what got me to thinking about this question of do these trainings really deliver on their promises? I have to tell you, I am a skeptic. I am not sure that that they really do. And this was really the, the first article that made me start doubting the, the narrative because I was like, when I, after I read this article, and again, this is just a popular level summary. Um, it's not a, a, an academic summary. But it's asking all the right questions. And it says, in a lot of cases, workplace environments actually become more divisive. they they degenerate. and that these trainings, uh, and there's these trainings don't deliver ultimately on what they promise. So you can go look that up, but that is a, a helpful kind of popular level summary of the literature. In fact, I think I can just, paste it into the comments here. Okay. So you go check that out. So what I did was I asked uh, someone who's connected to the ministry and works in higher education. And I said, could you put together a team and just do a literature survey of the academic articles and tell me what's out there? Um, what are these, what are these trainings and what are they delivering? Boy, that was interesting. So she put together a little mini team. It was her and two other gals who work in Christian higher ed, but are working on diversity issues and have to do this stuff as as part of their jobs. And so they did a literature survey and and I really am wanting to have their team write it up as a white paper for us that we can put on our website. And hopefully that's a project that we'll do um, pretty soon. Uh, after the book is done. But just as a preliminary thing, what she said she found is the first thing she discovered is that there are so many variables to these trainings and their effectiveness. Like some are delivered online, some are in person, some are one hour, some are three days, some um, are reinforced by the culture of the workplace. Other workplaces just to have you sign off you went through this one hour tra- obligatory training and you're done and it doesn't impact the culture at all and so with all of these variables it, it's a little bit hard to find trend lines of effectiveness but she said in general the results were very mixed and she went into this thinking um you know she she was she said it was a question she hadn't really considered that much before and now it's 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 causing her to ask different questions and that these trainings do not in many cases deliver on their promises. This doesn't actually help the culture. This doesn't actually in many cases improve communication, improve collaboration as a team. And I think that we see this anecdotally all the time. We get letters all the time in the ministry. And some of you already start to put them on the chat is that people become more closed off and guarded and they don't enjoy coming to work. It changes the culture. It's like, who do I trust? And that was sort of alluded to on the, the Stossel report. Uh, Tammy says, people who were once friends or friendly no longer trust each other. Right. Because you you don't. What if I try to give somebody a compliment and now it's considered a microaggression? Um, and these trainings often create a culture of fear. I agree. And this, this is, um, you know, not without merit. But here's the problem is that this theoretical framework of the critical social theories is assumed to be true. So then all the literature just kind of quotes each other And then there's this kind of reinforcement narrative of, oh yes, diversity trainings are noble and and virtuous. I don't I don't think that's true. And so I'm wanting to push back on even asking the question: what does this data actually show? And when you dig into the details and you take back the biases of the people doing the, the research. What does the data really showing us? I have questions. I, I, I think that a lot of times, and this is something that I say in our trainings is, now hopefully, now right in the chat, if you don't see this. So the outcomes of diversity trainings, um, the best case scenario, what they tell you you're going to get in these diversity trainings is participants are going to learn about each other's cultures and they're going to grow in their appreciation for one another. This is going to result in increased cooperation and production within the company. But it is not uncommon for there to also be outcomes that look more like the worst case scenario, which is, there's a lot of white shaming. White people are used as examples of privilege in the training and those who disagree with the ideology, including the minorities in the room, if they try to ask a question or push back, they are told that they are participating in systemic racism, and then sometimes can be overlooked for hiring and promotions. Now, here we got the best case and the worst case. Most companies are probably going to be in in the meaty middle somewhere, leaning toward one side or the other. But it is not uncommon for these kinds of results to happen where white people end up shame feeling shamed confused and not really knowing how to treat people but that's also true of the minorities in the room minorities who don't buy into the ideology and and see it as being sort of toxic and dangerous so um yes okay i've got some more um comments maybe the time that these trainings take away from have take have taken away from other trainings which we be better spent such as safety planning logistics job skills etc we had wonderful trainings at my former employer we had some great meetings on like how to conduct a meeting our friend um you guys might have seen one of the shows that we did with a friend of mine mark perez He used to used to be the second in command at lapd he came in to my former employer and did two trainings on how to conduct a proper meeting. Boy, was that helpful. Really improved the quality of the meetings after that. Um, I had a wonderful HR director there who trained me on how to do interviewing. And I learned so much from her and became a better manager as a result of all the training that she did for me. So trainings do matter and they can have very good results. Um, I think that there can be good things that can come from these things, but we have to be intentional. All right. I want to leave you with a Twitter account called free black thought. And I like their account. They, they um, are not afraid to tweet, um, you know, alternative voices in the black community. And, and they um, actually follow us at the center for biblical unity. I don't think they're Christians but they're okay that we're Christians kind of a thing. Um, But they retweeted something yesterday that I thought was really interesting. And again, going back to my conversation earlier about the need for alternative models. They ask a question, could these seven features do more for real racial racial justice than current manifestations of DEI and anti-racism? What do you think? That's a very thoughtful thread So this guy says seven features of liberalism or classical liberalism, a belief in the moral equality and moral primacy of individuals as opposed to groups. Well, I think that's a very good idea. In fact, I think it's a very biblical idea. I think that in this way, this value of what this person is putting forward as classical liberalism and tell me if you can't see the tweet um that they this is a biblical idea each and every one of us will stand before god on the judgment day each of us is judged according to our actions we will have to give an account before god the ultimate high court for our own actions This is what we will be required to do. And so when I read this, what I immediately think of is is the idea of the human individual having dignity, value, and worth, being created in the image of God. Moral equality. Moral primacy of individuals. The accountability of the individual. This, This is important, but these are profoundly biblical ideas. Number two, he says, a commitment to treat all individuals equally under the law and in political life. This is the classical definition of equity. Equity has been redefined by Marxists to mean um, equal outcomes. The classical biblical definition of equity is to treat people the same under the law. Again, I'm going back to God's word. It says, you will not favor the poor or the rich. You will treat everyone the same. This is a biblical idea. The Bible said it first. Okay. The next one is liberalism trusts in the rationality of these equally and equally treated individuals. Again, a biblical idea. The first form of governance. If you go back to my teaching series on justice, I'll tell you that the first form of governance is self-governance. Then we have the family structure, we have the church structure, and we have the government structure. But the most foundational form of governance is that I wake up in the morning and I manage myself. This is why God gives commands to us as individuals telling us how to live, how to operate, don't steal, don't kill, um, don't lie against your neighbor. The first form of governance is self-governance. So what this person is calling classical liberalism, I call Judeo-Christianity, okay? Let's continue. Number four, a commitment to the right of free speech by means of which equal rational individuals seek to persuade one another without coercion or censorship. Persuasion. This is why I think we need as many models as possible. We're going to have what I call a competition of ideas. Apparently, this is a classically liberal idea. I got this from working with scientists for 22 years. This is how they roll. They want to have a free exchange of ideas all the competing theories, and we're going to try to disprove each other's theories, we're going to try to poke holes in each other's theories, and may the best best ideas win. Uh, uh, Number five, additional individual rights, such as the right to property with its unparalleled implications for individual flourishing and material well-being. Again, I go back to scripture. It's one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal. It assumes what we call property rights. This is a thread throughout God's moral law is that we don't steal from each other. Okay. So anyways, I won't belabor this point, but I I think that it's important to understand that when we think about the need for more models, we need something that is based on the idea of equity, real equity, classical equity of equal treatment. We need uh, um, an idea of um, individual accountability. Um, Looking at, for example, when I look at the New Testament, looking at spiritual gifts, God has gifted each of us differently. This is the idea of hiring people according to their gifts and talents. Um, I think that that is a deeply and profoundly biblical idea. We need models. Based on these principles, we did a whole family meeting about Monique and I and our advocacy for blind applicant review. The reason for that is so to help reduce personal bias that we won't engage in favoritism, you know, toward the rich and the poor, that we will hire people according to their qualifications, according to their giftedness, according to their talent skills and their references and all of that these are the ideals of the workplace when we think about the idea of inclusion from a christian standpoint we cannot include everybody there are certain ideas that are not compatible with running a christian school or hiring in a church we will not be able to include everyone now can we look for candidates that maybe we're not looking in the usual places for hiring, but they still have beliefs that are compatible with historic Christianity. Absolutely, I'm all for that, okay? But there are limits to who we can include. Okay, let me take a look at some of the comments. Okay. Okay. Tracy makes an interesting comment. She says, I work in quality control and one of our tools is called 5Y. The idea is that you have to ask why at least five times to get to the root cause. This seems to be sorely missing in critical theories. I agree with you. I used to ask Monique like, well, what you're asserting is an assumption that must be proven, but you seem to want me to adopt your assumption without." demonstrating to me first that I ought to adopt your assumption. I used to drive her crazy and I'd say persuade me, help me understand why you want me to adopt this. What is your rationale? What's your Bible verse for this? Okay. It seems like focusing on what brings a team together, what they have in common is a better strategy for addressing whatever significant differences exist. I agree. I remember the first time I asked Monique, can you help me understand why you're such a big proponent of diversity first instead of unity first? Like to me, it just seems like the human project from a biblical standpoint is all humans have the same origin. We're all created the image of God. We all have the same kinds of reasoning faculties. So we should operate from a position of a fundamental unity first rather than diversity first. That was like a completely new idea for her. She had never thought of it that way. Kim says she follows free black thought on Twitter. Yeah. It's a great account. It's helpful. Yeah. This is sort of um, a natural law argument that classical liberals are making. Christians would just say, yeah, thank you very much. You're borrowing from our worldview. It's okay. You don't have to give us credit. You can, you can, say this is just secular humanism, but let's just, let's just know that you're really getting it from the Bible. Um, yes. How can you address the claim that those principles are not universal for all? They are constructs. I'm not sure I understand the question, Elaine. Sorry. Yes, John Locke would probably have agreed with that Twitter post, and exactly all of those ideas come straight from the biblical scripture. And whether John Locke, um, you know, thought he could decouple God's eternal moral law from the creator himself, that was a project of folly, because now we're living in in, in that. But that that's where he's getting the ideas. He was a product of his times. So, yeah. And I agree with you, Julie, that fundamental unity should not be a problem in the Christian context. In the secular world, it gets harder. I agree. But this is, you know, Monique. God has called Monique and I to a distinctly Christian space. And this is how we conduct our language and how we make our arguments. And we that's why we work with churches, schools, and uh, Christian schools and ministries. Because we do think that God's word is excruciatingly clear about these matters, um, particularly for us as Christians on unity first as a foundation and then we can explore a biblical vision of for diversity but unity has to come first but i think that for true human flourishing i think that there's a reason why some of these other systems don't lead to as much human flourishing as the broad eternal moral principles of Judeo-Christianity okay melaine says i was thinking of how using a seven principles from the free Black thought is just for white ideals, not universal. Yeah, you would have to make that case. I think that, um, you know, looking at some of these things, that would be part of your case making if you were doing it in the secular context. Um, I do find it interesting that these other alternative models, I would be hard pressed to show that they have as many um, results for flourishing as um, the Judeo-Christian worldview, but that could be a debated point. But again, this is where I think that we need to have um, a free market of ideas. We need to have um, a lot of options out there in terms of competing models. I, I don't. I'm not afraid of that. Um, I think that that's healthy, and that's what we should be doing. Um, Okay, well, I hope you found this helpful. Um, I want to encourage you to go sign up for the digital weekly newsletter at our website, centerforbiblicalunity.com, right here. Wait two seconds and fill out the form. Um, only five percent, two, two to five percent of you are seeing our social media posts. We have some meetups coming up. And so you don't want to miss those. So many people say, I didn't know you were doing the meetup. Well, that tells me you're not on the digital newsletter. So go sign up for the newsletter. You can see what events are coming up, where you can meet up with us, what's happening. Go sign up for the weekly digital newsletter. We're not going to spam you. You're going to get one email a week that has a summary with all the links of the resources that we've generated that week. Okay. Go sign up right now. It'll take you 10 seconds. Trust me. Okay. I hope you found this helpful. Are you coming out as a classical liberal? No, I'm just pointing out that they're ripping off our worldview. (laughs) They're borrowing from us. And I think there's a reason. It's a good idea. Okay. I hope that you will share this and um, that you enjoyed the little sample of my diversity training and that it just helped you understand the matter a little bit more. So you were in your in conversation and they're playing the shell game with all the, the diversity talk that you can just help uh, have a more informed conversation about it. I think there's some some noble ideals for how we could have these conversations better. I think that there's some, some ways that Christians could um, create better models, competing models. We welcome that. Anyways, thank you so much. Hopefully, Monique will be back next week, God willing, and if the Lord agrees, we will see you then. Good night, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to
1: the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista
2: at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology
0: adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan.